Uh, all right, cool. Let me ask you, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, this morning for breakfast, I had a pot of decaf coffee. I had a zero sugar added yogurt, and then I had a small bowl of kind of like super hippie Chex cereal and milk with blueberries. I was afraid that pot of coffee was where you were going to end. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would be, I would be a mess. So I've learned that if I don't eat, I get very shouty. Hi, I'm Tim. I'm a father, son, brother, friend, and storyteller. Welcome to We're Only Human. This is a podcast of interviews with people from all walks of life to learn how they broke free from their scripted lives to start writing their own script. We're digging into their roller coaster journeys to learn the skills and techniques they use to live life intentionally. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Alex Wilhelm. He's a husband, a son, a brother, journalist at TechCrunch, an industry-leading technology news site. And uh, you, Alex, were got married last year, 2019 in June. Is that right? Yes, sir. June 22nd, which is... Uh well, it's June now in 2020. So that's... It is June. I thought yeah, it was May. Just became, no, it just became <laughs> June. It's June... It's early June as we record this. I don't know actually which which day in June it is. It's it's the pandemic, Tim. Like we've been yeah, in this for a one while. Of those but first yeah. few days. Well, June twenty second anniversary coming up. Congrats! And Thank also, twenty nineteen, you celebrated three and a half years of sobriety from alcohol, which is another. And I suppose you're going to be coming up on four and a half years this year. Congratulations on that as well. Thank you, man. I just crossed four uh, four years uh, at the very end of May, actually. Wow! Awesome. Does that feel like a long time? I mean, because you were you were probably drinking for so many years. Does four years feel like a long time, or does it feel like nothing? Well, I I, I stopped drinking when I was twenty six, so I, I think I was almost twenty seven. Um, so I didn't drink for twenty years, you know, and so I didn't have like I, I didn't drink through you know, my twenties, my thirties, my forties, uh, like a lot of people do. Um, I got lucky that my, my body fell apart relatively early. So I was kind of smacked in the face by reality and I got to kind of uh, reset my life. Um, but to your question, it, it does feel like a very long time because I'm beginning to forget what it was like to be a mess all the time. That's um, gotta be a good feeling. It, it, I feel like I've had two lives. Like there was, there was the pre not drinking. There's the, yeah, the pre not drinking me, the drinking me. And then there's the now me, which like has socks, you know, and before I was like, you know, I just, my life was such a mess and just, you know, so disorganized. And it, it's hard to look back and see myself in that, I suppose now. You know, I, I want to, you wrote something, uh, in one of your, you have a blog and you've written quite prolifically, prolifically at one point, I read something you wrote and you mentioned how being an alcoholic isn't a moral condemnation of you, which I love the way you phrased that. And the reason I bring that up now is because part of the reason that I reached out to you, I remember when this was, I was in the airport, um, I was going to San Diego and or actually I was in the San Diego airport waiting for my dad who was on a different flight to meet up with me. And somehow I stumbled upon a blog post of yours that mentioned, I think it was celebrating your um, anniversary of being sober re recently. And 
I just stopped in my, and I was sitting already, but I just kind of like, you know, everything kind of faded away and I just stared at my phone. And the reason was we've known each other, you know, very surface level from the years in Chicago. You were, you were in Chicago back in the day yes, sir. When, when the scene was getting started with technology and all that. And you're a very successful, you know, technology news writer on TechCrunch. We've been in, in all sorts of other well-known publications. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I had no idea yeah. that he had this part of his story. And, you know, you wrote being an alcoholic isn't a moral condemnation of you. In that split second, the, the, I, I was like mad at myself because I'm like, it doesn't make him less of a person that this is part of his story. Why are you even like surprised by this? People have all sorts. So I, I love that you wrote that, I guess. There's not even a question here. Just thank you for, I guess my question is, what is, where did that perspective come from? Yeah. I mean, like that's a strong perspective and I'm so proud of you that you brought that to me. It's you know it's it's a it's a good question and it's funny that I have to ex- explain this out loud now because my thinking about this has changed so much that um, you're asking me now to explain kind of like almost like first principles to myself uh, and that it's it's a good thing to do so I'm very lucky in that I get to be uh, a public alcoholic I get to talk about this stuff out loud um, and I think I have a moral requirement to do so because I am able to and keep my job and therefore I'm allowed to. Um, Hold a, tar- hold a torch up for other people. I get to say, hi, my name is Alex. This is the problem that I've had and I'm here for you. And so people reach out because I get to make a little noise about it. A lot of people don't get to do that. They do not get to stand up for themselves and talk about this. They have to go to AA if you're into that and then speak very quietly. And, you know, they have to keep this under their hat um, because they don't want to be judged because society says that they are lesser, that they're not to be trusted, that they are... Um, they're worse. So they're addicts. Uh, I'll wear that label on my fucking. Oh, sorry. Actually, pausing. What's your rule on profanity, my good friend? Go ahead, my friend. I mean, uh, we're only I'll, human, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll wear that on my chest. You know, I'll put it right here. Um, and so I, I think that when you're newly sober, when you're just uh, off of your substance of choice, you end up uh, in a very turbulent emotional state. And a lot of the noise from society can impact how you think about yourself. Um, with time and some clarity and a lot of working out and a lot of talking to, well, my now wife, um, I've come to a pretty good settling point about who I am and, and kind of what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and what I'm worth. And so when I think about myself as an alcoholic, it's, it's, it's a thing. It's true. But it doesn't mean that I'm any lesser than someone else. And that's kind of what that statement is. And it's not really for me. I'm fine. My life's good. But it's for other people who might be depressed about this, who might be shocked to discover this about themselves. And so I want them to realize that uh, being an addict is something that you can work on and, 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 and really hopefully get a handle on. And then you get the rest of your life. And you don't have to um, be thought of as anything less. Thank you. I love that you made the point that you have the support behind you and the ability to you know, be public and like you said, not lose your job and things like that. And thank you for doing that. I mean, you know, you don't have to, and that's, uh, you're, I know you're affecting so many other people. Um, You mentioned your, yeah, I think so. You mentioned your wife. And from what I understand, I mean, you know, again, congrats on getting married last year, but from what I understand, you two were crossing in and out of each other's life for a long time. (laughs) And it, it sounds like, it's possible you might not have been able to finally end up together in the state you were in during the drinking days. Oh, is is no. that a fair statement? Oh, it's 100% fair. So so how, how 
You mentioned at the beginning, you you know, no socks, messed up, just a totally different life. Yeah. I would love to just, and I'm not, I, I want to understand this to understand where you came from. What are we talking here? Like, are we talking, what, describe what the life, yeah. the, that Alex life was like prior to you ending up with your wife and prior to getting kind of quote unquote straightened up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in a relationship um, up until about a month before I went to the hospital and then rehab. So a lot of my recollections of like the last drinking gets gets wor- got worse for me over time, and they got very much worse in the last eight months. Right. So like what I, what I'm talking about is the last eight, twelve months, whatever it was, when my life went from being like a little chaotic to like oh shit. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Not when I was 24 and just partying and I was 25 and I was hanging out with late 25 into 26 was really the mess of my life. Okay. And, um, so, you know, I, I'd wake up at like my then girlfriend's house and, um, she would get up and get dressed and go to work. She worked, um, uh, she took one of the tech shuttles pretty far away from SF and then I would puke bile because that's where my body would be every morning. And then I would uh, get dressed, and then I would go buy some vodka, and then I would drink about a half pint of vodka, go to work, drink during lunch, and then start drinking as much as I could at the moment work was done, power through, get about six hours of sleep, and then do it again. And so you end up in this 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 cycle of physical addiction that is effectively um, chains around you. You can't, you can't break free out of it. So you end up just trying to maintain enough semblance of sanity to get through your day and work day and relationships. Um, luckily, my body kind of was like, nah, and I went to the ER and then I went to rehab for 12 days or something. Uh, and so I got a kind of good shocking reset when I was relatively young. Um, but a lot of people just, their bodies keep going and they don't, they don't get that. So I'm, I'm blessed that I, uh, I kind of fell apart early, but that's the end of it. That's, that's what drinking a bottle of whiskey a day does to you. It's, it's, it's all consuming. Wow. You mentioned the going to rehab. Mm-hmm. You were there what, 12 days. 12, but 13 I'm, days, yeah. 12, 13 days. What, was it like day three or so you had to call your parents and tell them where you were and what had happened? I can't imagine yeah. both sides of that. Like being a parent myself now of admittedly young children, I can't imagine either side of that conversation. You calling them and the strength that took and, you know, I don't know what your relationship is like with your parents, but, you know, wondering what was coming next. And then from their side to have their son call and, you know, just worrying, I imagine about, about you. Well, that's why you don't call him. <laughs> you don't call him from the hospital. Right. So, um, this is an interesting podcast because it's designed to be personal. And so it feels not annoying to be personal on it. But most of the time on like a, a business show that I go to on, you don't talk about yourself much. Right. But here it's like, talk about yourself. It's fascinating. <laughs> um, my uh, my oldest sister Emily lives in uh, in the Bay Area, keeping this vague for her privacy. Um, and she is a doctor. And so on the day that my body decided that it didn't want to get out of bed that day, and eventually I was I became ambulatory. But like there was a, it, I woke up with a non hangover hangover catastrophe. Like my body felt different that morning, and that's what precipitated this whole thing. What, what um, is a non hangover hangover? Like- it's like when you're still drunk, but you know you're tore up, but you can't really move. I don't know. It was a weird day. It was a day sufficiently weird that I called my sister and asked her for help, and I'd never done that um, in my life. Sounds like almost but, an out-of-body experience, like you could see yourself mm, in this scenario. A, it was bad. I thought I was going to work that day. Turns out I was going to the hospital. Like, who knew? Anyways, uh, she drove up, and um, 
I ended up staying with her uh, while I was going through rehab because I was a, a Kaiser member, which is a California insurance group. And so the rehab facility was down uh, near where she was. And so I, I stayed at her house and then she dropped me off in the morning after we went to Starbucks and I would go to rehab, which is like until 3 p.m. Then you go home. It's a very strange experience. Oh, interesting. Um, but when I called my parents on day three, to your point, uh, I was at my sister's house. I was in her backyard, you know, so I didn't call them from like, you know, I'm in Arizona all of a sudden. I was like, I'm at Emily's house. And just so you know, I'm in rehab. And, you know, they they were confused, surprised, but not shocked. I don't think anyone was like, Alex looks great lately. He's definitely not drinking too much. I think everyone was kind of like, he's gained a lot of weight. And he's been drinking a lot, you know? So I, They suspected something was off. Yeah. And then they were just happy. They're like, good. You're taking care of yourself. You know, you're my, my recollection of that time. And I was on like benzos for anti-withdrawal stuff. So, you know, it's a strange, weird time in my life, but my recollection as best I can tell you is that they were very supportive and kind and loving. And that's the only thing you need at that point is encouragement and love. So they were, uh, they were dead on. That's great. Is this the sister you had written that you spent those weeks at your sister's house and you wrote, I'm not religious, but she is, and her faith believes in angels. She is a good argument for their existence. Yeah, that, you can tell that I was, I was, yeah, full of my, full of vigor when I wrote that. Yeah, that's her. Um, she's a very good person. She's just, she's so kind and patient and such an excellent human. Um, my wife is actually at the same uh, strain of Christianity as my, as that sister. They share a faith. Um, and, uh, I, I, I don't mind it because I think their faith is uh, very honestly, uh, in favor of caring for others. And that's what I look for most in a, in a person of faith's faith. When you mentioned that your sister was a doctor and that, you know, she was able to help you in this scenario, I had, for a moment, I had this, you know, this question of, was this not divine intervention, but I do think, you know, the universe, there's just, I feel like recently in my life, there's too many data points showing mm. coincidences in the universe where, you know, I don't know what's directing it, but one would say, you know, was it meant to be that your sister was in that line of work? You know, I mean, first of all, the unconditional love she's showing for you here, but also the fact that she happened to be the person that could help you in this scenario, I think is just, just interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, you're coming by saying that you're coming from a place of optimism and, and a very human perspective. And that's why I like what you said. The reason why I can't quite join you in that is that I, I was at rehab for 12, 13 days, just under two weeks. I was, it was Monday and then I, anyways, somewhere that I've written down sure. a paper somewhere. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in rehab didn't have that. They didn't have the same support. They didn't have the same family. They didn't have the same level of, of things to lean back on. And so if, if the universe determined and destined me to have my sister as a, as a doctor and, you know, only within driving distance of me and free that day to come get me and all that and all those things that came together to save my bacon, um, why did the universe not choose them? Why did it choose me? I am not special. I am not different. I am not worthy of, of extra treatment. And so if, if we follow that line of reasoning as lovely and kind and, and caring as it is for you, and I see that as you say it, uh, I'm worried about everyone else. And so, you know, I, the way that I think about this, the way that I view the, the, the situation you're outlining is I got lucky. And so therefore I owe because not everyone gets to be lucky. And so back to the point about talking about this stuff publicly, I think that I actually really do owe a debt. I, I went to rehab and then I haven't drank since. That's not how this normally goes. 
the first round doesn't usually keep, doesn't stick. So, but again, I'm not special. I'm not better. I just had a lot of support behind me and people that wanted to see me succeed. My boss didn't fire me. I got to come back to my same high paying job. I kept my apartment. I kept most of my friendships. You know, like I, I was the luckiest kid in school. Sure, it was not a fun experience at all. Let me tell you, can't recommend it, but I had all that. And so my view is I need to use this, this luck, this fortune and use it to help others in some way because it's not mine to, to, to hold on to and claim um, ownership of. It's mine to share. That's so generous of you. I think luck is a fair contributor to all this. I think it's a contributor to all of our lives to some degree. But I also wonder, you, there's so much strength in there, right? You said you never went back to drinking. And a lot of people do, a lot of people don't. You know, there's all, that's a total ebb and flow, right? And yeah, you have a great paying job. You're in a great industry. I mean, you probably have a life around you that, can help, right? But at the end of the day, there's strength in you to not go back to that. Like no amount of money, I imagine, is what's going to keep you away from going back to drinking. So, and this is my kind of thought here, Mm. how or where where did that strength come from? I, I have to believe it's there. Like you are the one who pulled yourself up and didn't go back at the end of the day. And all that around you helped, but you could have thrown it all away in an instant. Yeah. Yeah. At some point in time, feeling awful all the time gets or it gets boring. You know, like it's very easy to drink too much and not end up in this cycle of physical addiction. I have a lot of people that I talk to that are not there. You don't have to get that far to be an alcoholic. You don't have to get that far to stop drinking. In fact, rarely do people who reach out to me have that same situation. But if you do end up kind of where I was, life is tough. Everything is so hard. Every day is a struggle. And all you want to do is drink because it's the only thing that makes you feel a little bit better and a little bit more normal. And so what rehab offers you uh, is, is nothing, really. What it offers you is just space and time. It just offers you an emptiness that you can kind of then experience what life would be like if you weren't using whatever your substance is. And so for me, I started to like eat. I ate food. I hadn't really eaten that much for a while because, you know, most of the lunch was an excuse to drink. So, like, you would get, like, a, a hot Caesar salad, like, four martinis, whatever. Um, and I started to eat, like, two dinners a day because I was, like, hungry. And I started going for walks. And I, you know, I, I, I did laundry and I just began to reassemble a human existence, you know. And my nephews um, were around and I played Doom 3. I, I beat Doom 3 start to finish because I had so much spare time and I had to just take care of my brain and let it rest. And so, you know, you do all of that and you realize that there is life outside of your old path and your old ways. Um, you can hold on to it. And th- that's that's what I did. But But if you listen to my answer there, just layers of support. I had a place to be. I had a family who wanted to be around me. I had a sister who was making a sister and brother-in-law who were making me food and making enough that I could have seconds. I was in a safe neighborhood where I could go for walks, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Layers of privilege and blessing that, that made this possible. Did I want it? Yes. I wanted it by the end. And I was willing to do what it took to feel better because I, I, I had run that ship all the way into the rocks and I knew that it wasn't going to float. Uh, and I also knew what life was like. Like I, I, I knew what that looked like. You know, uh, I could go back and do it again. I could go back today and start drinking again now. And within three years, I'll be right back down there. I'll be divorced. I'll weigh fifty pounds more. I'll be quasi broke, 
and I'll be a mess and no one will want to be around me because I'll be shouty and sweaty. Um, so, you know, at some point you take the other, the other, the other exit. What made you want it? What was this feeling of, you know, you mentioned feeling awful. Like, yeah. is that what it, and excuse me for maybe being ignorant here, but having never been in the situation, did you truly feel like, I mean, I'm sure you looked physically mm. a mess, right? Like I'm sure you were oh, unkempt yeah. and just from not being able to focus on that part of yourself, but did you feel that way too oh, in, yeah. in, in the alcohol, you know, while you mentioned it's the only thing that made you feel better, it really didn't make you feel better. I mean, you still, mm. is that the case? So, I mean, you felt awful and then that's what made you want to basically not feel awful. When you start looking at your hand to see how much you're shaking before you have lunch to figure out how much you need to drink to get through the rest of the work day, your body's not doing good. Yeah. You know, it, you're, you're, the wires in your body, the, the electrical pulses are not firing correctly. Everything doesn't work right. Time has a weird lumpiness to it. It just races ahead and slows down. Um, you haven't worked out in, in so long. You've forgotten what it's like. You know, you, you're in terrible car. I was also smoking at the time. Um, I hadn't, I hadn't switched, uh, away from real cigarettes then. Maybe, or maybe I just had one of the two, but I, I used to smoke a lot. Um, and so between that and the drinking, I mean, you just end up a, a walking corpse. And, um, I used to be real, I'm, I'm now back in relatively okay shape. Um, but I was a wrestler in high school. You know, I used to be relatively lean. And, you know, I, I recall what that was like to be, to have, strength and to feel good about how I looked and how I fit into things. And, um, in the end, every bit of you begins to disintegrate and you know, that gets tiresome. Now you can descend more slowly than I did. You don't have to, you know, over the course of a year, go from problematic to, Oh crap with your consumption of whatever your substance is. Um, I did. And so I, I ended up accelerating the, the, the end, but, um, it's not hard to want something better when that's your reality. You know, it's, it's not, it's, and again, that's the whole point of rehab to give you a taste of what life could be if you were on the other side of that particular coin. Sure. Um, I thought rehab was a magical hammer that you would, you know, you hit your life with rehab and then stuff got better. And it turns out you're just sitting in a, in a building that looks like a middle school with like, you know, 15 other people and then no one's doing great. And then you talk about how things weren't going great and then you go home. It's the weirdest thing in the world. By the way, <laughs> addicts, hilarious. Some of the funniest people on the planet, but rehab's pretty boring overall. That's interesting. I, I didn't envision rehab being that way either. It sounds like more than anything, rehab offers perspective and a window into what could be and what, yeah. you know, if you stick around will be. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's, that's pretty right. And I, I think that's what, what it can do in the best of times. And this is why some rehabs, I think, have like a golf course and they have like fancy things and all this. Like, come, you know, enjoy life and feel good. I, I don't know how much of that's necessary. Also very expensive, but I think that's the same idea of showing people what life could be like if they were, uh, in fact, healthy. And, you know, I, just to be clear, I've had friends who went to super fancy rehab and have gotten sober. I have had friends who have done that and not. I have friends who are big into AA and it's worked for them. I have some friends who it hasn't worked. Uh, it, it, there's a gamut of, of, of methods and, and ways. And I don't want to sound positive or negative about any particular one because who knows what it'll work for whomever needs help. So. Oh, absolutely. I think the important part is finding what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I, I mean, I'm not active in AA right now at all. I haven't been for a long time. And my, my friends who are very serious AAers, um, that worries them, you know, but I, I've done a bunch of AA, I, you know, and, uh, as a non-religious person, it's not something that I'm 
ultimately comfortable with doing on a regular basis. If, if you called me up and said, Hey, I'm going to a meeting. Will you come be my buddy? Of course. A hundred percent. But you know, I'm not going to be, um, there early on a Tuesday. So once you got sober and, you know, sort of crossed that, get the, the chasm in, into this is my new life. Was it tough? There had to have been situations. Uh, was it tough to adjust to those situations in your life where, I mean, drinking in alcohol is a pretty integral part of our society, at least in the United States. I oh, mean, yeah. even, even if it's not, you know, binge drinking all night, just simply going out for dinner with a friend or with a group of friends, having a drink. I mean, literally just there's a phrase, Hey, let's go grab beers. I mean that, or let's grab a drink. That might not even mean we're going to grab a drink, but that's what's insinuated for you. I mean, that's now a big hard no. I mean, absolutely. I mean, in terms of like, I'm not going to be having a beer, but was that hard to adjust to like this foundation in society now sort of not meshing with your new life? Yeah. Yes and no, because like my entire life was built around this. Like it, it was how I socialized. It was how I, it was how I unwound. I mean, again, not just the last year that was bad or eight months, whatever it was, but even before that, like, you know, I was organizing people to come down to my local bar. I was a local at a, a dive bar near my house in SF. And, you know, I eventually I got invited to the bartender's wedding. Like, I, you know, I was there a lot. Um, that's pretty close. Yeah, to yeah. The bartender. yeah. 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 It's good. It's good times. Love those people. They're fantastic. I hope they're all okay. I haven't seen them in a while, but, um, for me, it was not just a shattering of my own life and then rebuilding it kind of from the ground up in terms of like, what do I eat? What do I do? When do I get up? When do I sleep? Who do I hang out with? Where do I go? All of that. It was also then going into the world and realizing how saturated everything is with alcohol advertisements. Like you can't say weed on NFL, but it can be the, the Budweiser halftime show. Um, what messages are we sending children about highly addictive depressants? So, um, that was a shock, but, but you know, again, my first couple of days back in rehab, like literally on a Sunday, I got my certificate of passing in stage one of, of this little rehab program that Kaiser had called the CDRP, the chemical dependency rehabilitation program. Maybe, um, I literally went home to my sister's house. I packed up my, my backpack. I got on Caltrain and I went back to SF and I went back to my house, my little apartment. Um, and then I, I cleaned it. I think was the first thing I did. Um, I, I went through all the mail that I'd been putting off for six months. I, uh, I threw a bunch of stuff out. Um, I threw away all the empty alcohol bottles and, um, I think I went to work the next day and I still have, maybe it was like a Wednesday that I went to work, but I still have the, the first post that I wrote back from, uh, from rehab, but it's, it's medium good. So that kind of worked out. Uh, but then I just took a lot of walks and I called my mom a lot. Uh, and my friends a lot. I just paced around Pack Heights and SF on foot for hours each day, just burning off energy. Cause all of a sudden I had so much energy cause I was just eating food and not drinking. So my body was just like, what do we do with all these calories? <laughs> um, and then <laughs> from there, feeling, I'm sure. Yeah. And then from there, just step by step. Um, and then, uh, back to the, back to my wife. Um, and then about five months later, uh, my wife called me and then, uh, yeah. And later on, we got married. So, is it, so she. We said she called you. She she came back into your life then, because I know you kind of you dated in college, and then you got back together a little bit after that, and then you know it's kind of in and out. And um, I, I imagine once you got sober and were comfortable in that new life, 
you probably felt like I did this. I am who I want to be now. But I got to imagine the second most amazing thing was you now could reconnect with this person and ultimately, you know, devote yourself to them and, and have that, that relationship. Um, was that the case? I mean, when she came back in your life, was that like, all right, this is the second thing I want. Yeah, no, it's funny. People say, what's the most important thing in your life? And they expect me to say my wife, but I, I don't say that. I say so not, not, I, I phrase it as not drinking. Not drinking is the most important thing. Sure. And, and the reason why I say that is it, it's the, the fount of all blessings in my existence. Um, if she had called me six months earlier when I was a couple of weeks, you know, before rehab, um, I don't know how that would have gone. I don't know. I, I don't think she would have been interested in the person that I had become and, and catching people up who, are not uh, my friends who know this. Um, my wife and I dated in college and then we uh, didn't talk for like four years or so. And then we started talking again and eventually got back together. And then 65 bajillion fights across the country later, we got married um, last year as we started off the, the podcast with. Um, but it was incredibly lovely to have her reach out to me when I was mentally okay. And I was able to have that first long phone conversation and then talk to her. And then when she came out to SF for, it doesn't, it's a long story, but like I was okay. I was still losing a bunch of alcohol weight at the time because I was carrying a bunch of that. And I was learning how to do like a push up because it had been a minute. Um, but at least in my head, in my brain, I was okay. I was there. Uh, and I felt increasingly clear up until the pandemic and, uh, and the current protests, um, uh, which have uh, reshuffled my my thinking a bit, um, but uh, it's that clarity was was one of the most important things. I don't I don't think this would have worked out without it. When you when she called and you eventually reconnected, for the time after that, were you, was that when you were living in different time zones for a while? Oh gosh, yeah. I only officially moved out to the East Coast um, in December of 2019. I uh, Liza and I got married in June of 19. Um, but we got back together in December of 16. So from that, I was, it was really part of a, a cross country relationship. She was finishing med school, um, and then starting residency and I was in SF. So I was just on United economy class, uh, across the country more times than I wanted to admit. I'm a United gold member, which is the, the worst thing to brag about if you used all of your own money to get it. And I did. So, um, if it's, if the company is paying for it, you know, fuck it. But, uh, I was paying for it. Um, and so, yeah, I was doing, uh, two weeks in SF, two weeks in, um, in Providence where I live now for, for a couple of years. And that was, I don't know how I, did, I don't know how I did that looking back. Uh, but somehow we, we did it. Um, and oh, dude, let me tell you, if you used to drink, there is nothing worse than flying when you can't drink because all you want to do on a plane is have like six cocktails and pass out. And instead you're just sitting there like three o'clock in the morning on the red eye, just hanging out, just bored. <laughs> like, Oh, I just, I'm just sober on a loud airplane going over Ohio. Like you just want to cry. Oh, it's one of the few times I miss drinking is when I'm on a plane. I never would have thought of it that way. <laughs> well, you've never, you've never like, I don't know. I, I pres you strike me as a person who is uh, a very kind, very intelligent person, but not someone who's ever been cut off on an airplane. That's fair. I have yeah. not. To be clear, I haven't either, but I have been cut off as part of a group of people who are cut off as a team on a flight to London. That's a long story. It's not for, not for this podcast. I feel like that's a better accomplishment than getting cut off alone. It was, it was, it was a team effort. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> 
So that timeline sounds like you two were living on separate coasts for almost three years. I mean, prior to marriage and then through the first little bit of marriage. That sounds tough. I mean, that sounds tough for any relationship. But when someone in that relationship is recovering from this, you know, battled past of addiction, and I don't know, you know, whether you're someone who needs to be physically around people or, you know, I I think this pandemic has taught us all that whether we realize it or not, humans do need physical connection or at least in the same room connection. Yeah. But I imagine being being bicoastal like that for for that period of time must have made that 10 times harder than just, you know, if you weren't previously, you know, addicted. Well, I mean, it wasn't easy, but the way it works out is that life just is confusing. So like I got a new job uh, that I was very excited about and it was the the highest paying job at the time that I'd ever had. So to me, I was like, you know, this is more money than I ever thought I was going to ever going to make as a journalist, you know? Um, and, uh, and then my wife matched into a residency program. And then that's where she was. So here I was and there she was. And so you just fly. You don't, you don't tear up your new job that you just got. Or maybe I should have. Maybe that would have been the bold thing to do. I didn't. We didn't. We didn't think that was the right choice. Um, and so we just flew me a lot. Uh, it just, it made sense at the time. It, looking back, I would have, I would have probably left that job earlier and then moved out here sooner and been closer to her more. Uh, but we were trying to balance life as best we could. I mean, you're always doing the best you can with what you know. And, uh, I, I've always been a bit more timid than I needed to be about career stuff and money. And there's reasons for that, but I, I like to be secure, <clears throat> secure and safe. And so I, I over-index for that. And so I think probably I was just like, well, this is the job and she's there, so I'll just make it work. And then you end up sacrificing probably more than you should. Um, yeah, but that's now in the past. So it's it's I don't think about it too much. Um, and United has said they're going to match everyone's status next year because no one can fly this year. So I will still be United Gold next year. So I will still board early and uh, and get a free like peanut bar, whatever the hell they give you on those planes. Um, I this is the longest I haven't flown in so long. I, I'm just I forgot how planes work. How does what's a, what's a TSA? I don't even know. Yeah, it's got to be a little bit of uh, you'll have to relearn the behavior of how to be a United Gold <laughs> flyer. I've killed myself with my tea. <laughs> Be careful there. Careful. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> oh, no worries. <coughs> oh, man. <clears throat> and this, ladies and gentlemen, is the danger of long-form interviews. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you inhale your tea, you end up sounding like you were recently punched by some sort of large Star Wars creature. I've been uh, there. Not getting punched uh, by a Star Wars creature, but sounding like I have been. Oh, I, I don't know what our bodies do to defend us from aspirating tea into our lungs, but it is not a pleasant response. Whew. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. No worries. I um, I find this is totally unrelated, but I've one of those moments in life, I feel like back when I used to use public transportation prior to this pandemic, I hope I'll be able to get back to it. But Amen. here in Chicago, I'd be riding the L and... You know, there's people sitting next to you and I'd be sitting there listening to a podcast and all of a sudden I feel a tickle in my throat. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just, you know, this will go away. 
And then, yeah, and then it won't go away. And I'm like, <clears throat> you know, I got it. And everyone's looking at me. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm not sick. Right. But, and it's like, why does the tickle always happen when I'm sitting next to other humans on the public transit? Like, why can't it happen when I'm in the bathroom or, you know, when I'm not near other people? Oh, yeah. So. I mean, so I will, before a, before a, a live podcast, which I'll do sometimes for, for TechCrunch, I will, I'll be talking with the production crew, with the guests. We'll all just be on Zoom or, or Squadcast, whatever, just chick, just chilling. And then the moment they're like, and three, two, my my voice my throat like closes randomly every single time and I'm like oh great I'm gonna be Mickey Mouse when I start this show there's gonna be a pip squeak and then I all oh, stupid paranoia and like ten minutes in my anxiety goes back down to normal and then I'm kind of okay but up until that point it's just our bodies are not um, we ask a lot of our bodies our bodies were not designed to do the things we do with them our brains have invented a world far past our physical capabilities we're just really weird monkeys and we do a lot with these things and uh sometimes they don't quite click and that's fine you know we're, we're getting by we're doing our best i would say yeah overall it could be worse i mean we're not perfect but we've gotten pretty far no we have append- appendices which just blow up occasionally so we don't eat grass anymore like our bodies have some weird historical quirks to them but i've taken us firmly off the topic Sorry. well hang on before we get back on topic this is news to me that's what the appendix is for it was for I've eating grass that. I, I oh. really wish I'd fact checked that before I said it on your show. I might be I might be spreading hashtag fake news, but I, I've read that it may well, have had to do okay. with our. You've prior... acknowledged that it might be true. Well, if, if that's the standard, then I'm going to say all sorts of wild stuff and just say, <laughs> "But who knows?" Then I then I actually will be the president. That's I, people are saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, I imagine becoming sober. There's some big wins there, right? Like, I mean, well, A, you were able to get into a great, stable relationship and in, in the love of your life. I imagine friendships and stuff were a little bit more stable. Um, and, and just overall, your life, like you said, you felt like you had more energy and now you felt more physically fit, mentally fit. Um, I guess those are big things. My question was, were there any small things that, you know, were sort of these small little wins along the way, but maybe... Maybe the whole thing was just a collection of those. No, no, small small ones are great. This is a this is a really good question, actually. I don't think I've ever been asked this. Um, people always want to hear about like your your spiritual recovery. How's your soul? And eh, whatever. Um, I like that I can now go to a brunch spot that doesn't serve hard alcohol. That was a big no before. I'm like, I'm not gonna go to a brunch spot and drink children's booze. I don't want a mimosa. What am I for? I want a whiskey. And so I would go to brunch and drink whiskey and everyone thought it was weird. I mean, turns out I was just an alcoholic. Uh, but now I can go where there's no booze at all. I can drink Earl Grey tea with my eggs. And that, you know, that's a small win, but it come, well, it came up before the pandemic somewhat regularly, you know? Uh, I love that. Like a newfound appreciation for something. That's, yeah. that's great. Yeah. I can, I, I used to be really hardcore about that. And now like I ha- I can save way more money. Um, and I don't have to work out as much to maintain a body fat percentage that I like. And, um, I don't sweat as much and I never have to like worry about what my breath smells like if it's too early in the day to smell like alcohol. And I never have to apologize. Well, not never, but like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't wake up anymore and be like, Oh crap, I got to call Billy. Cause I told him blah, blah, blah last night. And I, he wasn't going to like that. No, and my, everything's, everything's pretty boring in, in a really beautiful way. Like we, uh, we have a, a list on our fridge of uh we meal plan now like on sundays and we go to the store and do one shopping trip like if you're where i was like if there was any food in the house that wasn't like a half container of soy sauce you were like the king for the week and now like i've got meals planned out for days and days and like just that takes energy out of your 
you know, you don't have to work as hard just to live. Uh, it, it's, it's a thousand little things, um, that for me add up to the ability to do more. And so I, I'm more productive at work and I, I hope my personal life, but, um, the big things are great. Okay, but the small things are actually almost feel more important to keep you sane because you get to kind of you feel them more often than you do peace and calm like that. That's ephemeral and all that. But going to brunch at a place where you know they got really good espresso—that's a win every time for me. I'm a firm believer in all the small things. I think that Blink One Eight Two song. I was just least, about to say I've heard yeah, that one. <laughs> was spot on. But I, I really, it is all about. I mean, that's what matters is those little moments in life, those little things you can appreciate. So I'm so glad you you have some of those. What would you say is the the biggest, I hesitate sometimes using the word lesson because it sounds like there was something here to be learned and if you didn't learn it, you're a failure, which is not what I'm trying to say. But was there something you learned about yourself kind of now that you're in Alex 2.0 and the new life after getting sober, was there something big or small that you learned about yourself that maybe you wouldn't have had you not? crossed over into that new life? I don't know if it's something that I've learned about myself, but it's something that I've learned as myself, which is that, that kindness is, is underrated. Um, I was much more of an aggressive person um, before I was less patient. I was more acerbic. I was more, uh, I wasn't more opinionated, but I was less, less cool about it. Uh, and then rehab, if you fail, Right. If you, if you, if you have an addiction and you lose to it, like I did, and you have to go to rehab and you have to like rebuild your whole life, it's very humbling. And so you could, well, I, I came out of this much, much humbler and more patient and, and therefore a lot more kind. And uh, I've consistently found that there's nearly no situation in my life that couldn't be improved by me being more kind during it. Now, I'm an anti fascist, you know, let's punch every Nazi in the face, but. Otherwise, you know, mostly being kind is pretty good. And uh, that's something I don't think I would have learned when I was too self-absorbed and uh, too busy being drunk all the time. Uh, and so it's it's not really about me per se, more about just how we should interact with each other. But that's definitely something that I've, I have learned that is a lesson. Um, I, I think that's a good question, by the way. I think, I think it's, it's good to be introspective and, and, to, and to make yourself think about what you have done. Because otherwise, you know, why go to therapy? Yeah, I mean, I, I am a big fan of, I've kind of adopted this as my mantra, but I say, as long as we're better today than we were yesterday, it could be a little bit, it could be a lot, but as long as we're better and we're on that path then, so that that's good. Um, it's funny, you just mentioned, you know, kind of the ways you felt you acted and that you were, you know, prior and then how you learned that. I could be more kind and kindness is what matters for us all. And some of what you described, I'm like, wait a second. I think I went through the same thing, but I was not an alcoholic. I mm. didn't become sober. Um, I suppose, I don't know if we call these trauma events, well, life events, we'll call them life events. I suppose sure. my life event was getting divorced after a, you know quite a long time. And that's kind of my maybe you know life one, life two. But the way, like what you just said about your big thing that you learned as yourself, I'm like, Yeah. Same here. Oh my gosh. We got to be this kind. Goes, this goes back to what you said about, you know, would I be in the relationship I am now if I hadn't changed? No, because I wouldn't have been the person that my wife now likes. I was I, I was still me. I'm not trying to say that I'm like a whole cloth new person, yeah. but I was a definitely crappier model of the same make. You know, like it was not, 
I still like the same music. I still like ice cream, but like I was just not as kind and patient. And I think that um, I, some people get there without the shaking up that you and I took. Uh, and 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 bless him for it. I'm a bit more stubborn than that, uh, but I'm just very <laughs> glad that I that I got there. I I I I like to be a person that people think of as kind. I hope I hope that when I die, my tombstone says Alex was kind. He tried very hard. That's enough for me. That is a sufficient level of uh, of send off. I'll take that. So before I would be like president of the universe and you know the best selling novelist and this and that. Now I'm just like you know kind. Kind is good. Yeah, it sounds like a little bit of humility came out there too. Like you learned about kindness, but also about humility and uh, you know being more humble almost. Yeah, I mean just losing. Losing to a substance. I lost a, a thing that they advertise on television. How dumb is that? I lost to a liquid. I mean, that's just stupid. Wow, and that's yet, perspective. Thinking of it that way. Wow. That's strong. Yeah, the, the curse of the uh, of the suburban dad brought me low. You know, I don't know. Yeah. You mentioned that, uh, you mentioned therapy. And yeah. I think about uh, you know, I had never done therapy prior to initially doing couples counseling, you know, having great results with that. And then a- after continuing during that process, starting an individual therapy and then continuing it until basically present day. And I fell in love with therapy. I fell yeah. in love with this tool that I never really had a reason, or at least I didn't think I had a reason to exercise this tool. And so for me, kind of when I think about what keeps me reminded of what you just said of being kind and humble and all those great things we learned about ourselves. Therapy definitely helps with that. I'm curious for you, what are some things that in this new life you utilize or do, or, you know, I know there's, I know people who are big on mindfulness and yoga yeah. meditation. I'm, I'm curious, like what, basically the question is, what are you doing to keep yourself you know, strong and firm in this new life. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's an evolving answer because I'm trying things here and there. Sure, um, sure. I did therapy for two years, I think, when I was in SF. Um, my, my the job that I got after I quit drinking was very stressful. Um, I was building a team for the first time. I was controlling a budget for the first time. I, I was reporting to the board for the first time. Um, a lot of learning all at once for me, and you know, I was six, seven months over when I started that job, which is crazy. And, uh, so I was super anxious all the time. So I went to, I went to therapy and I got a therapist and, um, we chipped away at it. You know, it was great. Uh, he was, he, he was kind of an old school guy. He was like, you know, when he's like, meds aren't for you, we're going to work on mindfulness. And I was like, ah, okay. And, uh, we just chipped away my anxiety into the point when I, uh, when I quit that job and I moved out here, I was changing insurance providers. So, so we had kind of a going away session. I just got, I got to be very grateful. I'm just like, you know, Thank you for, you know, the support you've given me. Um, that was huge. Uh, other things that really help a lot. Exercise is fantastic. I'm a, I, I try to, I work from home. So I have a little home gym set up where near my, where my computers are. So I, have, you know, like a yoga mat and I do push ups and sit ups and I got some weights and some kettlebells and, you know, I try to, I try to stay, to stay active. That's super important. Um, I spoil the hell out of my dogs which really helps because it makes me think about other creatures that are not myself and it puts me in a different headspace to be a bit more mindful of the world. Um, I have done meditation, both guided and not. I have read books on Zen. I have some friends who are big into it. Um, some AA through time, as I mentioned, uh, I have a sober collection of friends that I check in with on a regular basis. Um, 
And uh, lately, I think the most recent addition to this, you know, evolving arsenal of ways to keep myself alive mentally is I'm furious. And I think I think that anger uh, is a, it's a junkie fuel. It's not great, but uh, it's going to serve me for a while. And um, my rising hatred of uh, of uh, my, my sorry, my hatred of rising fascism. There you go. Here in the United States is going to keep me uh, alive for a while because I can't I can't get drunk and not do anything. So I'm going to stay sober and try to do something. That's fascinating because anger, I feel, is traditionally easily abused and easily misguided. And for sure, when you first said that, my first thought was, well, Alex, aren't you worried that the anger is going to pull you in directions you don't want to go in or you don't want to maybe go back to? Um, the look in your face suggests that, no, you, you, you're going to use anger for good, as odd as that sounds. I'm working on a new personal project. I'm putting together a website. Um, I think it's going to be loosecollective.com. I think that's the URL. I bought something on, on my domain register. And I'm going to put together a site where my friends and I can write about politics because uh, none of us are um, paid to do so, and we all can't stay silent. So we're going to put together a little loose collective is the idea, uh, a collection of friends, and we're going to write about, write about things. And that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to put our energy towards that um, and try to um, not create art to fight back, but to create fighting words to fight back. And that's, that's, that's the objective. And I'm going to hopefully not get fired for doing that. So we'll see. Uh, I might, um, that'll be fine. I'll get through that. Uh, but I, I just, and I know this isn't a, a political show. And I'm trying to tailor this to you know a broader audience, but uh, I don't have any patience for fascism uh, or fascistic thought. And you know, currently sitting here in uh, early June 2020 in America, it's an interesting moment in time to see who is going to roll over and let one executive do whatever he wants, including abusing the military against protesters, and who's not. And uh, I know on which side of that divide that I sit. I'm very glad that I'm sitting here drinking. Uh, this is a uh, this is mint ginger tea or something, and not whiskey, because this means that I'm going to be able to work on my project tonight, and uh, not just sit on the couch and uh, rewatch something on Netflix. I love. First of all, thank you for for doing that, for harnessing that anger in such a way. I think I'm excited to see this come to life. This new project of yours, and I mean. In a lot of ways, this is why the reason I do this podcast, I think there's a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is I've seen pieces of other people's stories. I've heard other people's stories that at times in my life, especially in the past couple of recent years, they've affected me and I've been able to alter course or I've been able to step back and think because I heard their story. Yeah. And so... I feel a duty and I just love helping now hopefully others do the same with the stories I share, which is why I'm so excited to have you here today. But you doing this and harnessing anger in that way is sort of a similar technique, right? You're able to bring your friends together, your your anger in a great way together to get these words out there, which then can inspire others, which I mean... Saying it out loud sounds so elementary, but I it's not. I mean, that's how this country, the United States, was built. I mean, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm just literally giving you reading, a hell yeah. 
during this chat, my my dad called me. I didn't answer because we're talking. Um, but we are, I think, forty pages away from finishing the Federalist Papers as a as kind of a father son book club. And so I'm literally reading these like OG bloggers who are out there like slinging mad words in favor of like federalism yeah. and like distributed power in government. Yeah. And they, they were, they were just blogging in the newspaper. It's all they had back then. And they were just writing like, you know, 1000 word entries or shorter or longer just based on what they thought. I mean, you know, it's the same idea. Words. Words have power. They don't have power always exactly as we hope they're going to, and we can't always tell when they're going to have impact. But I, I, um, I, I hope, I hope that I can own up or earn the title of devoted servant to the written word uh, in my life. If I keep, if I keep reading and writing for the rest of my life, I, I, I might get there. It's, it's a long road. I'm not good yet. Um, my style is too wonky, and I'm a bit reductive at times, and uh, I have a lot of work to do. But I'm, I'm hoping, hoping to eventually become a writer that I'm proud of. Give me like 20 years. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're on the right path. And I think it's it's interesting to step back and think about, I mean, Loose Collective, for example, you're going to launch this. And I think voices like yours are going to contribute so so much to this time. And then you think about the amazing work you do and you know, spreading the different technology companies and, and all that, you know, covering that. I mean, you're helping so many entrepreneurs. And just if you start to go back and think about everything you're able to do now because you were able to overcome what you did and what you're going to do in the next 20 years. I mean, like, sometimes I just love smiling at that domino effect of like, it's just, you know, you, it blows your mind when you think about like what has to happen or what I did or what did happen to get to all these outcomes and one little change and it might not have happened. I mean, oh, that's yeah. just something to be proud of. I think about that kind of one little change, how life would be different all the time for different things in my life that have gone well or that alternatively have not. Um, yeah, that's a fair point. They could go the other way. Yeah, they certainly they do. I mean, life, life is, you know, unless you're exceptionally lucky, life's going to be hard. And that's, I think, why this show is fun because everyone – uh, even the most, the person who's the, the glossiest on the outside, who looks the best, who thinks, it seems to have the most of their stuff put together has struggled. They, they've probably had to fight really hard to get to be where they are today. And that's, uh, that's what makes us human. <laughs> Frankly, that's, it's, 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 <laughs> it's the journey, not the destination. It's the struggle, not the victory. Uh, it's the, uh, it's, it's the hard, the hard fight to get there that makes us who we are. Because if I, if I hadn't gone through, what I did, and I'm sure if your divorce hadn't happened, you know, you and I would be variations of who we are today, but would we be as good? What if I just drank 50% as much and just kind of like, kind of held that on for 50 years and then died? I wouldn't get as much done. I almost had to go through the worst of it to get to the best of it. Uh, it's a hard thing to say because it sucked. It was a really hard time in my life and it was miserable, but, um, Maybe in the end it'll, it'll be something that uh, that works out in my favor. I hope so. I want to be an optimist. I want to. I want to always think there's more and more and better coming, uh, not just for me but for everybody. And some days, like today, given the news cycle, that's hard to uh, to hold on to. But uh, I've been a pessimist. I've been a nigh nihilist, uh, and I'm going to try this one instead and see how it goes. I want to have kids. You know, I, I don't think you can be a pessimist or a nihilist who has children. That just seems ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the world, children. It's only going to get worse from here. Like, yeah, that's not, that's not any good. You know, you can't have that. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to 
build or help in a tiny way build the world that uh, that I want those hoped for children in the future to to be able to live in. I guess that's a good enough goal. That that'll do me. That's a good enough eighty years. I think that's a fantastic goal, and I I I see you as an optimist. I do. I see what I see you as is an optimist who maybe a not realistic optimist. I don't want to downplay the optimist side of it, but you're able to harness that perspective. I think it's because of your experiences. You're able to harness that perspective in a way that brings guided optimism, right? Like sometimes I think optimism means to people like my head is so far up in the clouds. I'm so optimistic that I don't understand the steps it's going to take to actually get there because I can't get my head out of the clouds. We all want the same dream here, but I can't contribute really because I'm just so far up there. And to me, that's maybe less effective optimism. I I feel like you're the optimist here that knows the steps or was willing to figure out the steps to get there and then act on it. If that makes sense, it makes sense in my head. No, no, it it does. I mean, there are days in which I I, I aspire to have my head in the clouds. I I hope that I think big enough that some days I'm thinking too big and too far in advance. And I become essentially a philosopher as opposed to a person who operates in the real world. But most days I wake up and make coffee and then I work, you know? And so I think you need to have an optimism that, that, that you can persist and hold on to, um, as you go about regular life, like, you know, I'm about to do book up with my dad Then I'm going to play dominion with Liza. And then, you know, I'm going to hopefully go for a bike ride. And like, you know, all that is predicated on the fact that I think that people are worth investing in. I think keeping my body healthy is going to be good in the long term because I think there's things down the road that I want to do. So optimism, I think, is, is more imbued into our actions and choices than we think. It, it, it's not just the belief that bad stuff isn't coming. It's, it's you know, why we – it's an engine that helps us choose things that allow us to do more down the road. Uh, and that's the optimism that I want. I, I want that to be um, a friend to me in my, in my existence. I can't think of a better note to end on. Alex, thank you so, so much for chatting. This thank you. It's thank you. fantastic. Don't, people don't realize that this almost didn't happen because we were using the first time my in- inbox that I don't check very often and I kept ghosting you by accident. And I'm very, <laughs> I just wanted to formally apologize for that because it was not intentional and I, uh, I'm glad we pulled this together. It's a real treat uh, for you to have wanted me to come on. So it's a real honor. Thank you. Apology completely accepted for ghosting. You know what I took out of that? I'm glad you brought that up because it was a simple mistake, right? I'm emailing an email address that you don't check very often. Totally understandable. In my head though, and this is where the self-doubt comes in. I feel like I'm better about this, but in my head, I'm like, well, we connected pretty well and, you know, and we were on board and, you know, we had to reschedule and whatnot. And now I can't get a hold of him. I'm like, I don't want to bother him. Am I bothering him? Maybe I should just stop bothering him. And I thought, you know, but I mean, it's just, I, what I'm saying is I'm glad that happened because it reminded me that assume positive intent, first of all, and second of all, like, I don't need to have that self-doubt. Like you had nothing against me. It was a complete misunderstanding where I was emailing the wrong email address. Like, first of all, it's on me. (laughs) Not not only did I nothing against you, I had much against me because I would check into that. I'd log into the inbox like once a month because it it, it was the inbox I set up in between jobs, but I didn't have a corporate email to put stuff, you know? Uh And so I just didn't check it very often. Though my my dad emails now, so I do have to check it. I'm trying to get better at that. Anyways, uh, and I would log in and I I would like three (laughs) newsletters and then like two emails to you like, hi, 
And I would be like, oh, no, I didn't check this one. I missed him again. <laughs> and then, like, just, just waves of guilt would roll down from the heavens. Uh, anyways, we pulled it off. And um, you know this- what? It was better than it would have been. And I don't mean this uh, because of you, because of me, because I'm looking at. So, this it was about six months prior to today yeah. that we initially connected and we're going to record this interview. And life happens. But I had prepared for this interview six months ago. Mm. So I pulled up my notes today and I got everything and I was ready to go. And I was able to, you know, kind of pick out what I wanted there. But I'm reading through my notes and kind of what I initially thought this conversation was going to be like. Yeah. And I'm already like, no, 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 you've learned since then. You've learned over the past six months. That's not the kind of conversation. This is not what you want. This is better for learning. And And I thought to myself... I, I'm so, this is one of my favorite conversations ever. Let me just say that. But I'm so glad, Alex, that we didn't have this conversation six months ago because it's richer today than it would have been. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why you should always have a burner email address you don't check. You never know <laughs> what blessings is going <laughs> Be optimistic, guys. Get yourself 10. <laughs> no. Um, and just, just to, to close things off, I know we're a little bit long. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to people and to, and to, demand that they share what they might not share otherwise because it does put uh, a new form of communication out there and this is exactly what podcasts i think should be thanks for listening to we're only human before you go i would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning just send me an email tim at we're only human and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning thanks